0: Today on Tournament Talk, we're talking destinations and how small and large organizations can make a huge impact This is the Tournament Talk podcast, where your hosts, Tyler
1: Childs and Sean Sinclair are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world. Save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything.
0: Welcome to another episode of Tournament Talk. Tyler Childs here in studio with my guest, Xanth Jarvis of London Tourism, or Tourism London, as they like to call it. I'll get that branding right. And xanth uh, has been in the industry for a while, recently promoted, and I'll let him do the intro here. Zanth, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm good. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, uh, what your job title is, and kind of give a quick intro into what you do on a day-to-day basis.
1: First of all, don't feel too bad about that, London Tourism, Tourism London. We get it all the time. Our website actually works either way. Just because it happens so. Really, often. the URL is both. Yeah, that's too funny. So, uh, again, yeah, I'm Zanth Jarvis, director of sport tourism with Tourism London. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Absolutely happy to have you. I mean, we've obviously done a lot of things together over the years. Uh, our, our home offices are here in in London as well, so there's a really long standing relationship, going back way, way, way before you and I existed in both our organizations. Absolutely. So it's kind of funny uh, as we sit here today, uh, things have changed a little bit. But why don't we talk a little bit about what what your role really Ent- entails in a daily basis and how people can use your services or what you're doing to chase other opportunities.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're in the business of obviously bringing people to London and, um, that's, that's through hosting sporting events, right? We know London doesn't have a CN tower or a Niagara falls. That's naturally going to bring tourists. So we use those sporting events and, uh, they work out pretty well. And we want to help and empower these local sport organizations to host these events and think big and how can we grow these events and bring even more people to town. So um, that's what we spend every day doing. It's it's trying to help these organizations uh, achieve their event hosting goals and ultimately making them bigger and better.
0: Awesome. And that's one thing I talk to a lot of people about is in, in London specifically, listen, you nailed it. We don't have a CN Tower. We don't have this huge tourism attraction. I always say that what we offer in London, great experience and value. That's, and if we lose sight of those two things, we lose what it is to be a tourist destination for London. So it doesn't mean it can't change. It doesn't mean we can't evolve and grow and build. And, and I think that's part of the underlying goals behind the organization. But w- once you look at goals, is there one goal that stands out above all else? Like I know a lot of, of destinations measure themselves strictly on room nights. Is there a community piece that's more important? What, what is it that drives Tourism London?
1: Yeah, we're a lot of communities do that uh, look at room nights as as the overall that's what it comes down to we we are definitely the opposite Um, we feel that gives us more flexibility we don't ever want to be kind of uh, backed into a corner or stuck in this box where you got to meet this much uh, in order for us to support you or our level of support that's because just because you have a ton of room nights doesn't mean it's the best event for our community, right? Right. Like legacy is massive in what we do. And what are you going to leave behind? What is this event going to be remembered for? The impact that, that it's going to have, not even just on sport, tourism, and the economy, but just the sport industry in general here locally, whether or not that's through facilities, of course, but you know, even lower grassroots level like participation and just opportunity for our community members to get involved in in the long run, that's how we're going to achieve those big goals and of those tourism and being such a great city. But we feel it's important to to have that flexibility to be able to support events that not just bring in the most amount of room nights, but also have that legacy piece uh, attached to it. Well, that's
0: a huge piece. I think it's starting to become more popular, that legacy terminology when we're talking about events. And I think a lot of national organizations do a pretty good job of making that part of their bid packages. Uh, I do think it's it's something I talk about you guys a lot. in in other destinations when I'm I'm working with them for whatever reason, talk about the analysis that you guys do. And I don't know the inner workings of all of your scenarios, but I do respect the outcomes that you guys almost always deliver on because whatever you're doing to accept them in the door always plays out positively for our market. And it's a big reason we are such an important tourism, you know, sport tourism city in our province. I think we were the leader in a lot of ways, Uh, I think volume we're behind some other cities because they're larger cities, not because of what you guys are doing. Um, and, and that's kudos to you and your team. Um, you know, I think you mentioned the local community organizers, you know, what, what is it that you can do to help them? And what do you, what do you see with them in terms of what they either fail to recognize or, or what they don't realize you guys even offer for them?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's part of our mandate too is, uh, marketing ourselves locally to these organizations. We talked about how the last time we saw each other was at the annual open house that we offer. We do that every year just as a marketing piece to to let these four organizations know that we're here to help because a lot of them, there's so much turnover, as you yeah, know, right? Absolutely. As soon as the, the president's kid has gone through the program, there's the next president stepping in and that transfer of knowledge doesn't necessarily happen. So a lot of times we're rebuilding relationships with the same organization just because it's new people, as, as you know about, right? But the way that we help these events, it's always different. It depends on the event, right? I mean, some events need support with volunteers. They can't find volunteers. Well, we have a database of 1,300 names we put out a call to, and we're blown away by the response every single time. And people are actually asking us for more opportunities. They yeah. follow up with us and say, hey, are we still on the list? Because we haven't gotten an email in a month.
0: Well, right? and, and, so- I, and I know you touched on that in the panel we sat on recently. We talked about the volunteer database and how valuable valuable that is and how envious other cities would be of your ability to pull from that list uh i think it's it's been one of the big things that's allowed us as a city to accept large national or international events and and it run you know without a hitch um the people behind anything is super important we talked about it just before we jumped on how important people are but yeah i think that's one i i find it interesting the 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 meeting that you just referenced uh there were some new faces this year, and I think that's oh, partly nice. yeah. you guys, um, you know, recruiting. And, and I'm not even talking even at the organization level. Like, there's new cricket organizations and events that I'd never seen before, uh, and I keep my ear pretty close to the ground. So uh, it was fascinating to connect with some of those groups, which, you know, goes to kind of show that even though we're, we're one part of our city's tourism piece, there's so much more behind it that we don't always see all the time. Right. So um, yeah. is there is there anything within that group that you think, that they do a poor job of from their side? Other than the turnover, that is that is what it is. But is there things that once they're engaged that they kind of drop the ball on that you're kind of trying to hold their hand on?
1: Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, I would say, again, kind of the communication, but internally within their teams, right? If you're talking to a president, an association, just trying to get information down to all the teams and, and coaches and things like that. That's tough, and I know they have a tough job. But sometimes, you know, we can provide a lot of assistance in that cases, especially when it is those coaches and those managers that are planning a lot of these events, right? Absolutely. And with hockey, they might not need the volunteer support, but like when it comes to hotels or uh, food and beverage, transportation, permitting, and bylaws, right? That's the red tape that we have to deal <laughs> yeah. with at the city, and I'm sure in any city, it's it's confusing for myself, not alone someone that's just a manager of their kids hockey team trying to plan an event right and they want to close the road to do some sort of event or you know even schedule extra garbage pickup right. right the things you have to go through with that so um it's tough right and it's it's just getting the communication and letting people know that we're we're here to help i guess it's also on us too to do a better job at marketing but also, that transfer of knowledge would be nice and helpful if, you know, these organizations maybe could make it part of their, their transfer knowledge plan or their succession planning, right, to, to, to loop in these partnerships that exist and right. how they can help to ensure that they're still getting taken advantage of. Yeah,
0: the communication piece is, is a huge piece. I, I say it all the time because it's an evolution of, of sport in this country at some level, but the, the volunteer is a barrier, Right. Because although in these larger scale events, they're a lot more engaged at the community level. They're engaged Sunday after 830 p.m. Right. Like (laughs) they're hammering out emails in the middle of the night. Right. And that's the the unsung heroes of sport tourism are these people behind the scenes. And I, I constantly talk to customers about, listen, these people are volunteers. Right. They're not getting paid to do what you're upset about them doing. You just need to take it down a notch, have a conversation. There's a resolution. It'll be fine. And almost always people come down from that. But, you know, ultimately, it, it is a difficult piece at, at, at on their side and on ours because they have lives. They have all these other things going on. Um, and that's where people like yourself and ourselves, you know, that's our job is to fill some of those gaps um, from a more professional setting.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I think um, these event organizers, too, they're so protective, right? They've been doing events. They kind of know how to do it. And I think a way that we can help, too, is – let other people in, Yeah. let other people help you. Well, they're proud, right? Right. right. And, and for the most part, they do a good job, but you also, there's some deficiencies in there that could be solved by other perspective and other people taking things off your plate. Yep. Right. And I'm happy that you're protective and want these events to go well, but having that understanding that, you know, having that committee approach instead of kind of one person that does it all. That's not
0: sustainable. Well, and there's one organization in the city that has really bulked out their board. And ultimately, it's allowed them to take some of that stress off one or two people. And it's a good model. And I think it's one that I've started recommending to others. You either got to pay people to manage these things efficiently, or you just put more hands in the cookie jar and just have clear guidelines of what the roles are. And setting those guidelines is a difficult task. It's no small piece of the puzzle, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting evolution. And I think the privatization will continue to support some of these issues, but at the same time, there's going to be problems that arise as a result of the issues starting in the first place. So, uh, it's definitely interesting when you're, when you're looking at opportunities to bring things to the city, like what, what is it that intrigues you about a new opportunity? Is there a sweet spot that you guys like to really target? Um, and, and kind of just, let's pull it back there a little bit.
1: Yeah, so again, obviously, you know how different one event is from another. I mean, we we consider ourselves that middleman for the city, right? So we're pulling people in, partners in, left, right, uh, whether or not that be venues, hotels, sport organizations, you name it. So really, it's got to work for everybody else. We'll make it work for us. It's right. got to work for everybody else, right? So for instance, uh, working with the university is great. Uh, putting people in residences allows us tremendous amount of cost savings to make an event work. That university can only have rooms for four months of the year. Right. Right. Those summer months when they don't have students. So that tends to be, that's always a sweet spot when it's a summer event and not only for the university, but also for a place like Budweiser gardens. Right. Right. You know how busy that they are. Summer is a lot less busy. Yeah. Especially when it's outside of hockey season. Yeah. Right. So we've kind of, notice that that tends to be, I guess you would call it the sweet spot for a lot of the events we like to go after. That being said, it can still be done. We've hosted tons of events outside of um, that time period. That's just the most advantageous yeah. to London and a lot of times to your event, right? Like to, to be able to stay in a, a university accommodations versus a hotel, depending on the event, makes for a much better experience, right? Right. So. Again, it depends on the event, but we've found that, that that timing and the, the ability to use the college and the university, and we've been doing multi-sport games lately, and we love that too because that allows us to work with so many different sport groups in the city. Right, We're not just working with this one sport organization. And it's a big investment of time, right? So to spend so much time with one organization, if we can spread ourselves across and work with so many different people in the same event so everybody feels that legacy, everyone gets that experience to be able to host different events on their own. That's, I guess that's what we would call our sweet spot. Absolutely. No, I
0: about. I love that. I mean, it is so hard as a singular event to have that much impact on so many different groups, right? We talked about that transfer of knowledge. Those are the types of events that can fast track people five and 10 years in their experience, uh, how they run their own club or organization versus how it's done at the national level. Yeah.
1: And it allows us to, not be known as just a hockey city. Right. Right? Like, yeah. we're proud to be known as a hockey city, absolutely. Absolutely. But we want to diversify ourselves, yep. right? And there's so much more than hockey just going on in London. I mean, well, hockey's great, and there's tons of amazing hockey. Shout out to the Hunters and the Knights and everything they just did for the World Juniors. Um, but there's so much other stuff
0: going absolutely. on, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's any Canadian city is, is always first attached to hockey, always, and whether that's correct or not. Uh, anybody outside of Canada recognizes Canada as just this big ice, <laughs> <The> ice <laughs> rink. Right? Like, that's all it is, right? So, you know, it is nice to diversify, as you're saying, and I think it's a, it's a huge piece of what you guys are tasked with doing is trying to make sure there's a good mix because it's not even just about people coming into our city sometimes. So making sure the programs exist for the people that are here as well and kind of that transfer of experience goes both directions. And, and I think that's sometimes overlooked, and I think it's a huge, huge piece of the puzzle that I, I always like to talk about um, and, and you don't get a lot of chance to talk about it, right? Because most organizations are focused on, okay, how do we drive revenue in? And it's a fundraiser in a lot of these cases for a lot of these clubs. So they don't, they don't look at the legacy piece. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience is also a piece of why it's harder for them to track sponsors because they miss that whole experience. They're like, Oh, we are bringing people. That's our job. Well, it is, but now how are you executing the activation behind it and all yeah, that fun absolutely. stuff? So, uh, it's a great piece. We talked about the sweet spot. Now let's talk about the roadblocks because that's probably a good chunk of day to day for you guys, right? And it's like, okay, this is awesome. We're excited. Oh wait, we can't. So let's talk about what are the biggest ones that you guys face and even try to generalize it as well. Like what do you think in the industry as well are some of the the biggest roadblocks that events or associations have working with any destination? First
1: and foremost, it's always funding. Yeah. Right. That's a big one. Um, Especially here locally, Even with, you know, implementation of municipal accommodation taxes, which which has been amazing um, and great. But we're still trying to justify and explain and educate the difference between that and some of the core funding that we receive. So that would be the first one. And we're competing. We see ourselves as a big city, right? We compete against, and we are, but we compete against Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, the big cities in Canada for these events, right? Got much deeper pockets than London.
0: Yeah, Montreal has
1: an unfair advantage,
0: <laughs> right? And Ottawa's
1: got the feds right there too. I feel like they got some sort of
0: deal. Well, no, the, just, I don't. I don't even know if you're aware of this, but Montreal has the ability to collect uh, the accommodation tax off Airbnb. Okay. So, so they're collecting that yeah. tax in in a bigger way than any other city in the country, uh, and it's a significant advantage oh, that absolutely. they they have. I, I know I was talking to another destination about it, and they were just kind of like, "What do we do? Like, how do we compete? We can't. We don't have." And you don't, and that's when where you have to win on.
1: Comes in, yep. Well,
0: and that's where you have to win on other things, right? So that's where you know those hurdles are, are extra frustrating. So, you know, the funding piece is a huge piece of the puzzle. Is there anything else that that kind of jumps out as a, a consistent hurdle, at least?
1: Um, that's the big one. We talked a bit about before going on about economic impact too, mm-hmm. because um, in a lot of cases that's what's used to justify the investments that were made, right? And then when you have multiple people claiming economic impact, how they're calculating it isn't all consistent. It kind of hurts everybody, especially the people that are that are doing it right, right? And have full scale economists and, okay. and models to back it. It even hurts them when other people claim that they can do it. So that's, that's, that's one of the biggest roadblocks too, is always kind of to educate people on economic impact and, and it's real and the exact the specific impacts it has on a community uh, are, are tremendous, but some people don't buy that,
0: Yeah. right? Yeah, well, and, and we we did, we dove into it in a big way before because, you know, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in what it can do. And, and I just don't believe that it's there to the point that we can value it in the way we want to. And the only way you get there is to keep working on it, right? So, you know, I think that's the thing that I've probably have the most room to grow is committing to that growth piece instead of <laughs> just trying to get to the finish line. But, you know, ultimately it's something that, that I want to see get more accurate. I think with data being more readily available today, there's big data available from a food and beverage standpoint from, you know, a gas and, and other amenities spending while they're in the city, we're starting to be able to collect more and more of that. And that's, that's where you can start getting accurate numbers driven down and better decisions being made. Because I think, overall, most destinations do a pretty good job of filtering through it to understand it. Maybe they don't when it goes in the newspaper, but you know when they're making decisions internally, they're probably a little more realistic about right. what that percentage of number looks like. But um, that's a big one. I would say um, I, I think there's a ton of room uh, for that to continue to move forward. But as you've kind of moved forward in the industry, what would you say has been the best experience of your career so far?
1: I would say, I mean, the events that we're working on Ontario Summer Games, um, we hosted that in 2018. We're doing it again in 2020, and that's uh, 19 different sports and 25-plus venues across the city, right? So multi-sport games in the summer, again, sort of our sweet spot. Um, But that's definitely been the biggest learning experience for me because not only was it the first event that I saw from start to finish, like literally – the first meetings with the ministry before we even decided on bidding, before the bid documents were even out, we were having these conversations to submitting the final report, right? So start to finish being involved in every single piece. So just getting that understanding and that experience was great. Doing it back to back, so what that looks like when you're hosting an event, back to back and kind of that transition phase from being finished hosting to have to dust off the boots and do it again. Um, but also kind of what not to do. Right. Right. Because with that one, I think took on a big role and it kind of, um, and I mean, it was fantastic, but it's just, you know, ties you up.
0: Yep. Yeah. Right.
1: So I'm super thrilled with that experience and that's gone very well, but also recognizing that I need to have the ability to, to shift and work on so many different things. Cause I said, like I said, right, bids come up out of absolutely nowhere, Yeah. out of nowhere. They can just hit you in your inbox Monday morning and blow up your entire week yeah. or a phone call, right? It's it's happened recently, um, but it's tough to do that when you've got so much responsibility on one event, right? So as much as you want to support this event and make sure it does well, you also need to make sure that you can be flexible and aren't bogged down on one event too, too much. So you can be out there getting bids, working on the business development side, right? Continuing to to think in the future and going after more events than just servicing what you have going on right
0: now. Yeah. And, and your role is shifted too, right? Like that's, that makes it, you know. Yeah a little more and congratulations that you know know we talked (laughs) offline about it before but yeah that's it's a big step forward too and i'm sure that adds a certain level of expectation just from an oversight perspective right there's no longer somebody that's responsible for that piece of the puzzle it's all on you now and your team and you know that's that certainly changes the expectation but that's those are the opportunities that we all look for right this is anybody that says this is anything but an experience-based industry is not looking at it through the right lens and ultimately that's how you grow. You have to get out there and see it for what it is. Everybody does it different, right? The way Ontario Games does it is very different than other associations within Canada. And, and you know, it's just interesting to get all of those perspectives because not everybody does it 100% right. And you can pick up a piece from everybody to do that fully rounded experience. And it's a really cool place. Now, let's kind of backtrack just a little bit. Now that you've been through some, sorry. I will, I
1: will say just along that point before we move on, it's so important for me to do site visits and see events, yeah. right? And that's, so when you talk about the experience, like even when we're thinking about bidding on something, if we can get to it to see what it's doing to the community and see the reception and kind of just getting that that visual of how we can do better, I guess I'm a visual learner. Just for me to, to see it is so important for me yeah. when it's possible um, in order for us to determine whether or not it's something that we're going to pursue.
0: Well, and, so. and I don't know if you've, have you ever read the book Good to Great? So it, in, in that book, it talks about... Um, I shook
1: my head. No, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, as, as that continues, as an organization grows, one of the things it talks about is as you're replacing leadership, it's almost always better from an in, in internal you know, perspective. So seeing that event from an internal perspective, but with a totally different lens is what you're trying to accomplish, right? Because, you know, that's the hard part of bringing a bid into a city. Like, well, we think we know what they want. and We think we know what the guests want. But that's not always correct. Whereas if you're engaged in it and you see the customer experience, that's an internal perspective that allows you to make good and better decisions moving forward. So I think that's a great point to just kind of kind of cap it off there. But, you know, as as you've kind of got to that point in your career, um, going back, like what are some of the things that you would give advice to a new event owner? You know, we talked about the volunteers transitioning into a new role. Um, Let's say it's their first event. Or let's say somebody that's creating an event business in in general, when dealing with a destination, what would you say the first piece of advice before anything else you would give that individual?
1: Well, talk to your local sport tourism <laughs> plug for us, <laughs> but that goes along with the point of, you know, trying not to do it all on your own. Yeah, right. People are so. They, they want to do it all themselves and, and they don't trust people. And I that's one of the things that I've realized I need to grow on too is kind of delegate and you can't do it all on your own because you you want what's best and you think that you can provide what's best, but you really need to, to work on kind of allowing to, to ask for help or allowing others to work with you. So working with a third party like you guys, right? That's some advice off the bat. They don't know much about hotels and the revenue opportunities through hotels. Let's talk to a third party.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I, and I know we said on that panel we mentioned earlier, like one of the questions that they asked was, do you know everything? And the, and the answer is obviously no. <laughs> no one knows everything, but I did answer yes. And, and, and after kind of the class was done chuckling and they settled down for a second, I said, listen, like the key to knowing everything is just having no ego and the ability to pick up the phone and ask somebody who knows the answer. That's knowing everything in this business, yep. because although you might not know everything else, someone knows the piece you don't. Yep. and that exchange of knowledge is so critical uh, to success. And I think a lot of people get in their own way, and and I think that's one of the pieces I would add to that. Right, is like calling you guys, calling us, calling whoever is that piece of the puzzle for them. That I, I'm a hundred percent with you. Uh, you can bring some great things to the table, but you don't always exactly. have it all. Yeah. So that's a great piece of advice. Um, what do you think the biggest mistake is that those same event owners make? Not necessarily first timers, but like the one that you see crop up the most, where do they get in their own way more than any other area?
1: Um, I mean, an example recently is just these event owners get excited, right? And they think about some of the legacies and what's going to be great for this event and kind of spend some money on some things that maybe wasn't the best thing to buy. Right. Um, without, you know, knowing some other costs just because, well, this is what we want to get out of it. So we're going to buy this first and then make the event work. Like that's a dangerous game. Very dangerous. Event budgets, people are hearing that (laughs) event budgets. Very, (laughs) very dangerous game. So luckily we're not in that position um, with this example, but, you know, it's always, it makes me a bit nervous for sure. Um, so that's that's what I would say is first and foremost. Yeah, like I, I completely agree. We, we,
0: we see it all the time as like one of the back end of the train revenues is they get to us and they're like, oh, we need this to make money. Well, that's that's your problem to create your budget. We're happy to help. Yeah. We're always here to guide you. But at no point, like from our perspective, should your hotel be a part of your budget, should be part of your profit margin, and that is it. right? If you look at it as a core item, there's too much variability in the hotel revenue to use that as a hard line right. and, and a lot of people do it. And, and then they ask hard questions later and it's like, listen, that's not how you should be valuing. It. And it's, it's a coaching thing. Right. And you know, we don't get paid to do that a lot of times, but ultimately that's, that's one of the added values to, to having us in that transfer of knowledge from either year to year or destination to, de- to destination or, or just some other transfer. But yeah, it's, I, I'm with you on that one. Event budget probably is the one that most problems come from. Yeah. Right. If they're not a core issue of it to begin with.
1: And these this is all from experience too, right? like these people don't have the experience and working with a ton of events like this. So that's why bringing in a third party or someone bringing more people in with more perspectives and just with more experience to help you. Right. right? That's no slight against you and your event or your ability to manage an event. That's that shows leadership, in my
0: opinion. Yeah. Well, and, and it is an industry of alphas is what I say all the time, <laughs> right? Like there's a ton of egos in this space. And, and in a lot of cases, that's part of their reason for their success, right? Because they have that ability to just lead and charge and, you know, kind of move forward. But in, in other instances, they get in their own way because it's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Get out of my way. And, and to your yeah. point, that's not always the way you look at it, which leads us beautifully into our next question, which is what can they do to make their own lives easier? And for me, it's, it's get out of their own way. You. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's find people that you can trust to work with. Yeah. Right. And I know that's one of our core missions when we're talking about partnering with people is how do we find somebody that aligns with our goals? There's a hundred different models within our space, but I'd rather turn away somebody that doesn't fit, oh, absolutely. even though it doesn't you know help the bottom line, than do a bad deal. Because ultimately our job is to have that pass through to the end consumer and, because it's a rate-driven business, it's blatantly obvious when you're not playing ball That's in a, in a manner that's fair to the consumer. And it's one of the, the big issues that's going to continue to be around for a while. And I know you face it probably all the time uh, when it comes to bids. Bids require X up front. They require X on, on the hotel piece. Yep. And it's a dangerous game, right? And it really, really is. And it has to make sense for all parties involved. But with that said, like is there anything around that concept of the bid that you think they could do to make their life easier like asking for a, like a bid fee you know is something we talk about in our industry a lot and for those of you that don't know what a bid fee is essentially a destination or or some party involved in the conversation has to essentially go out and offer an amount of money to engage the opportunity yeah and it's a scenario that is looked at in my opinion and most most people view it this way as double dipping when you then turn around and say also I need that same community to drive more money to the bottom line. Is that something that you see changing? Is that something you think that there's a different approach that can make everyone's life easier? Yeah, and then
1: just to your point there with the guarantee at the end. So you have a bid fee of X amount of dollars to even play ball. And then you have to profit this amount. And only if it's over this amount can you take some of that so it's yeah i get what you're saying the double dip for sure i mean it's tough for us to do anything about it because that's what how the industry is right now and if we don't want to play ball they're going to another city right. that does yeah that has more money to be able to afford that so that being said we are seeing it start to change a little bit especially on the guarantee side i would say right right even these event owners are realizing like it's getting tough to find new communities that will work with you, right? And for your own brand and your event, you need to spread out across, if it's a Canadian, across to different cities. Well, It's marketing, it's it's your brand. You need to get out there and expose it to different people if you wanna grow. And if you're, some communities are starting to say no, or we just can't afford it. And they're just limiting themselves in the number of bids they receive.
0: Well, and there's a trade off, right, between economy of scale large-scale events going to one market once a year and the ability to spread it across multiple cities like I look at curling and does a, a fairly reasonable job at spreading their event out they can host it pretty much anywhere now that they know how to retrofit mm-hmm. in any arena yeah uh, it makes it a little bit easier than it once was but you know ultimately those are the types of experiences and look look at the community piece of of, an, of a sport like curling right I, there's other sports that have similar um, footprints but maybe don't have the distribution. Right. And, and ultimately that's something that I find interesting around that conversation because some of these larger organizations take away 95 or more percent of the opportunity within the country. And, you know, the U S model is slightly different. The international model is slightly different for obvious reasons, but you know, in Canada, there's really five or six major players that can, are the only ones that can host the large scale events. Yeah. And, and what does that do for, for the athletes, for, for the participants if they're constantly going to three or four major cities
1: and even those cities the people coming out to watch like the more they see it the less they're gonna go see it
0: yeah
1: right so the great thing about curling too is that they have so many different properties that's why they can cater to, to- so many different cities right absolutely like obviously the briar and the scotties are are one level of events but they've got those those smaller events and there's like grand slams and Continental cups a ton of stuff out there that can fit any community, right. right? They can find something that they host that can work for you.
0: Yeah, and and I'm a curler, so I'm a little closer to it than most. But you know, it's a really a small town sport. It always has been, and, and it's it's almost hard to to afford it in a city, right? so mm-hmm. The real estate of hosting or having an, a, a rink in in the downtown yeah. or, or perimeter is is a tough yeah. proposition. Not right? Seeing in Toronto, no Briar no
1: scotty's downtown.
0: Well, it's funny. I was talking with somebody a couple of weeks ago in in an event I was playing in, and they were saying. They cannot have draws before seven o'clock because people can't get home in time wow. from downtown to participate. Which, from a revenue standpoint, I don't know how they operate, <laughs> right? So I mean, they must be paying through the roof just for the opportunity to play, which is yeah. nuts. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's those are the things we talk about. Those are the different perspectives, right? Whereas you know, a large-scale court event, right, can only be in certain spots, or you have to distribute the population across multiple venues and that's where it becomes an experience thing for the participant at that point. Like, is, that's the trade-offs that go into all these things, which is where you get to bid fees to afford the scale opportunity in the yeah. first place. But yeah. you know, who ends up suffering is the people that have to travel in one direction across the country every time to get to those cities. So, um, one of the last ones that I wanted to address, and this is one of my favorite questions: What's the white unicorn? What's what's the one you're chasing that you you want? It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be one that's at the fingertips. Like, what's the one that? For, for you personally, is it is a very exciting opportunity.
1: I know you know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask it anyway. I know we talked about not wanting to be a hockey city, but it's got to be the World Juniors. Yeah. Yeah, this city would go nuts for and, that. And sorry, not that we don't want to be a hockey city. We just want to be much more than just a hockey yeah. city. Right? But the World Juniors is. It's like the city would go
0: nuts. It really would. The yeah
1: the impact of the economic impact talking about of that type of event i mean and when we talk about economic impact too it impacts in general it's more than just economic impact it's social impacts and the impact of you know all eyes in canada being focused on london ontario over the entire holiday season yeah right talk about branding a city yeah marketing a city we know that these events also play that, in that role mm mm-hmm in how we we brand and market that city so just having all of the attention and especially if we can be successful and talking about you know london's had more the knights have had more number one overall draft picks than any other team in the world yeah right talk about grassroots hockey like this is the capital of grassroots hockey in the world yes i agree right so and this is the the marquee premium i don't want to say grassroots but minor hockey event yeah like the, it's
0: the well it's the culmination of development from each country right like is what it comes down to be and it, and it's a fascinating cultural event for us as a country right the amount of people are like what are you doing on boxing day well i'm watching the world <laughs> junior It's not yet. even a question yeah though. right like everyone just knows that that's you're watching that yeah. and and for those of you that don't understand why london is that you need to experience it at some point come watch a night's game you'll see it it's a it's a great venue it's just the right size it's full every single game and, and it's never even in question whether it's a sellout at this point. Um, and, and the hunters and, and the whole organization around the team, the building itself, they've all done such a phenomenal job, job flipping the venue for other events that are going on in between. It's just seamless. It's, like, it's one of those ones I talk about this city as a whole all the time. And, and it's one of the – admittedly partly biased, but at the same time, like I listen to all these other destinations have these issues. And then I look at what has happened in this city. We just don't have them. And some of them happen behind the scenes. But, you know, the experience mitigates a lot of that. And I I tell everyone that for a a mid-market, London is the gold standard, in my opinion, uh, because you guys have done such a good job of analyzing opportunity and and then executing. And, And that's hard to do both of those things. And that's kudos to you guys, the team before you, the team now, the team coming in the future. So... Uh, I know we've been excited to always partner up with you guys and have been part of some of these bids in the past as well. So, uh, oh, I appreciate
1: that. Um, but like I said earlier, right, we're we're a middleman bringing people together. So credit goes to all these other other organizations around the city that do a lot of that heavy heavy lifting, right? We, we we like to network and and bring create relationships and bring people together that kind of never worked together on an event. But really, it's without these organizations and the people. We, we just kind of knocked a little bit on these event owners, but the, those are the people that make these events possible. Well, absolutely. Right? And it's not a knock on them. It's just, how can we get better? That's, that's right. what we're always looking at, right? But without those people that are driven to bring these these minor events to the city, we wouldn't be where we are today. Well, and so that's, that's why the we success, support
0: them. absolutely. And that, and that humbleness is exactly why it works, right? It's exactly why it's able to continue to grow. I, I always use this analogy. I, I worked at McDonald's in high school. And the corporate structure within McDonald's is phenomenal. And one of the things they talk about, to your point, is in management, if you're doing a a specific task, you're not a manager. And so ultimately, that's the job. You're trying to put all the pieces into place so that success can move off of that. And and I think that you guys have done a wonderful job of doing that over the years. And I look forward to to the next big step for you guys as well. So uh, I appreciate you taking some time today to jump on. Uh, we'll time. have to do this again soon. This was a great episode. Um, where can people contact you if, if they want to find out how you can help them?
1: Yeah, uh, londontourism.ca. I'm happy to help. Zedjarvis at londontourism.ca is my email. Uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. All of that stuff. Again, happy to talk events and and how we can bring those events to London. Or if we just want to talk economic impact and, and and pick each other's brain, happy to do that.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks again for joining us today. I look forward to having you on again. It's been another episode of Tournament Talk.
1: I got to get on the baseball podcast next. There you go.